I do decaf Americanos now. Mm-hmm. I can't handle the, the late afternoon caffeine thing anymore. Are you a Pisces? No, I'm Sagittarius. Okay. Well, was just wondering, I know a few people that can't do a late after or an, any caffeine, honestly, and they're all Pisces. Really? I do this decaf Americana, which is kind of a trick because if you go to a coffee spot that has strong espresso, there's still caffeine in the decaf, but it's a way of controlling it, I guess. I don't think I have a problem, but my wife doesn't agree. She's always like, what kind of coffee did you have today? (laughs) Like if I'm too awake at night, I think she likes it, but she's suspicious of it because I'm usually like crashing out at eight o'clock or nine, you know. I feel like I've been running around and also had a lot of screen time today. So if I just have to close my eyes mid-interview, I'm not falling asleep. I feel like it can feel like an excessive screen time lull and like headache coming on. Do you get those ever? Yeah, I think um, my fingers and my brain are affected by the, the screen time. Just being on the phone, being on the computer, and then eventually like my shoulders and my whole everything react. Oh, yeah. Let's take a moment. Let's relax our shoulders because, okay. man, if I do, if I think about, okay, relax my shoulders, they sink like two inches. Let's relax my jaw. Yeah. Oh, I have such a love, a love hate. <laughs> screens like we actually watched frozen 2 last night which we hasn't we haven't watched in a while and olaf says something that i profound that i think i missed before was like screens of technology will be our greatest advancement and our greatest demise and i was like oh i feel that deep in my being yeah that balance is gonna be everything i mean it already is but i think we're going to see more of that i think there was a a lawsuit i don't know if it was in seattle or oregon public schools sued meta or facebook and a couple different companies just based on their knowledge about how impactful and damaging social media is for kids, yet have so many marketing tactics to market to kids and they do nothing about it. And of course, it was on NPR and they were like, no one at any of these institutions uh, accepted our offer to make a statement. They all declined. (laughs) They declined to make a statement. Sounds smart. Well, it's funny. I saw that you just did a podcast recently. So I was like, I'm late to the Dobby podcast game no i'm just blasting off into 2023 doing the podcast circuit (laughs) it's like whenever has someone a celebrity has something new coming out it's like every podcast i listen to it's like oh they're on now they're on this one okay well now they're on this one it's like well they're they have something being released they're promoting something they're making the rounds yeah do realtors have uh publicists i guess anyone can have a publicist sure um maybe i should think yeah a publicist or you know pr I feel like Ruby is kind of your PR. She is. What's she doing right now? She's actually out going. She went to the good field. Oh, yeah. It's good if you get in on, you know, if you get into the routine, we get our general home things like soaps and you know, laundry detergent and, and dish detergent and those types of things. If you, if you get on their program, it's a nice bulk local spot. Now I'm giving them a plug. Sponsored by. <laughs> no, but seriously, you know, if, you, if you're the type of person that goes to the store and gets annoyed every time you're buying another package of something and like, I have more plastic, you know, I think they are helping out with that. It, it puts a little bit on you as far as going and get, getting your refills. But like I said, once you get into the routine, it's a good thing. Well, I'll go ahead and do this little intro. And I think the difference between... Me and any other real estate podcast is that I try and be a little bit different in where I like to go with the conversations. I like to hear, hey, where are you struggling or what does this feel like instead of, hey, like, how are you closing whatever? Inevitably, hopefully it gets into some of the 
cool things that you're doing. But I also think everyone is different and something that you do might not work for someone else. But I think what's universal is how there are highs and lows to this industry. Yeah. Welcome to today's episode of Win Some, Lose Some, Resiliency in Real Estate. Today we're talking to Nicholas Dobby Debratz. Dobratz? Debratz? Where am I em- emphasizing there? Oh, Dobratz. Dobratz. Okay. What, you know, it could be wrong, but that's what I grew up with. Okay, cool. Nicholas <laughs> the Dobby, just Dobby, Dobratz, is committed to bringing calm, care, and expertise to every real estate transaction. He's the winner of the prestigious Most Friendly House Elf Award in 2021 and top 1% sales agent in Nashville, 2022. He's licensed in Tennessee and California, which I can't wait to get into, and currently resides in the lovely neighborhood of Inglewood. I'm around your house all the time. I could throw a rock and almost hit your house from my house here. How long have you been in Nashville? Um, I guess 2017 I moved here. And where where were you prior to that? I lived in Athens, Georgia from 2010 until that time pretty much Uh, i did go back to california for a a bit of that time when i was deciding what i wanted to do or where i wanted to live but i would say i was Mm -hmm. in georgia before tennessee yeah so if we circle back to the first sentence of your bio committed to bringing calm care and expertise i'm soothed by the way that you are talking (laughs) it's the microphone (laughs) i can only imagine being a client and just spiraling because of god knows what and then talking to you on the phone and just your demeanor and the, what's that called? The um, particular pantameter. What's the cadence? Yeah, I like that cadence. Oh, the know. way you say things. I'm like, <laughs> yes, I feel, I I feel calm. Like I, I want to open my calm app and like tonight <laughs> next to Harry Styles is a sleep story by Dobby. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, I think that's actually a real proven thing. And I don't know if it's, I know it talks about it in some, you know, parenting books or articles, but I think Chris Voss, the art of negotiation, even talks about it when you're negotiating or if you're talking to someone like a child who is being outlandish, if you match their crazy energy, you're only going to escalate the problem or the situation. But if you come in calm, then you're more likely to diffuse or disarm the situation because of that emotional mapping or maybe emotional mirroring is what it's actually called, something like that. So it's a proven real thing that probably only works really in your favor in this industry. Well, that's good. It's good to hear. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. In like 2005 to 2007 or eight, while I was in college, I went to a lot of house parties in town and can i tell you of montreal was one of the bands that was played the most at those house parties so i kind of geeked out when i learned that that was part of your past so for anyone mainly just me what was the transition of being in a band transitioning into real estate and kind of how that plays into like what you learned or kind of what you took away from that that's that applies to Mm -hmm. real estate Yeah, no, that's a good question. So I moved to Athens, Georgia, 2010 to join that band. And at that time I was in California and had been playing music for years, uh, had a record label and needed a change in my life. And that opportunity came up, really loved it, 
went on the road and basically did that for a decade. I guess somewhere in the middle of that, maybe around 2015 or something, ticket sales slash just general tour schedule slowed down a little bit. And at that point, you start thinking about, well, what else am I going to do here, you know, just for Hmm. work. And I had a mentor in Oakland who's in commercial real estate who had always encouraged me to get licensed and, and said I would be good at this. And I know people say that a lot. So it was always in the back of my mind, kind of like, maybe I should do that just to have the feeling of a little bit more control over my income. Of course, when I started, so when I did actually get licensed in Tennessee, I had seen it as supplemental income, you know, that I would be touring. Well, the flexibility of the job is what people tell you. (laughs) The beginning, you're the you can make your own schedule and and all of that. So that's always attractive, I think, to creative people and and folks that that maybe are looking for new sources of income, but don't want to give up their entire schedule to a jobby job. So I did that at first, and I think quickly realized in the first year or two that to be good at it, you know, it was going to take more time than just be kind of like doing it on the side or whatever. But to answer your question, all of those years of, of playing music and then also doing the, the management side, whether it be tour, booking, and that type of thing, which really is negotiations and, and repre- artist representation, I didn't realize but had helped me out, I think. I think with some of those tools that did prove to be valuable in this career. One of them, well, being calm in in a in a stressful situation is is part of being a touring musician, I think. Well, you don't have to be calm, but you won't last very long if if you're acting out every time something doesn't go your way. And so when you go into a venue in every city, you leave some type of impression on the people that are working in these places. And what I learned was Every time you go into a venue and you're you're setting up and you know uh, in, being introduced to the the staff there, there's always a conversation that's mm-hmm. going on in the background. It's usually about some band that was there a week ago that was terrible and that treated everybody poorly. <laughs> that's what I learned was, oh yeah, you know, if you don't want to be that person who everyone's saying was terrible, then even if you're having a bad day, treat everybody with respect and and approach everything you know with a fresh attitude. So I think in that respect, that work did prepare me for some of the ups and downs of the real estate deal. Because as you know, every transaction, doesn't matter how it starts, always has some bumps in the road. And how you deal with those is pretty much everything, I guess, in, in our career. Yeah. And I think inevitably, if you were having a bad day and you're a jerk to someone, like that's going to be the person that you're going to have to negotiate with on the next deal, on your next offer. Exactly. Yeah. And then you just are like, oh my God, what have I, what have I done? And then you're just like, I'm, her last interaction was less than optimal. So here I am now asking for a favor. This is feeling real good. Yeah. Right. And I think with the market right now, I mean, we're probably maybe seeing a lot of that. I don't know. You know, there's the power balance has shifted a little bit and the conversation changed really fast. Everything was about what can we do for you as a buyer's agent? What can we do for you to, uh, to make this work. And then on the listing side, it was kind of like, I don't have time for you, you know, just give me your offer and, and we're, everything's going to be deadlines tomorrow at 12 o'clock and So how you dealt with those situations, you're right, because now you're on the other side real quick, you know, and and it's kind of like you could be talking to the same person and 
if you didn't treat them with respect, even if, uh, you know, it was a stressful situation, then you're going to have to deal with that mm -hmm. on the other side. Yeah. How did the, you know, getting licensed in California, so you were licensed here first. How does that work? I mean, geographically, I mean, do you have like a California database that you're kind of always staying in touch with? Do you spend a certain amount of time in California versus here? Like, how does that logistically work to work in kind of two different, very competitive markets? Yeah. Well, when I first decided to get licensed in California, I just asked around, like, who does this? Because I know it being dual licensed or, you know, multi-licensed is a thing. And I got different feedback from, from different people. Some people said, you know, eh, it's not really going to work out. Other people said, I do it. You know, I, I talked to someone who moved from L.A. to Florida and I won't say too much, but basically she just did it and had a really great person on the ground to to facilitate day-to-day -day things and then was flying out once a month. So that's kind of how I built the first phase was I'm just going to go out once a month and meet with people and start to generate the business. I have, obviously, I live in Nashville and, and my business has been here primarily. So that's kind of a steady flow. So going out there is is really still something that I'm developing. But yeah, I have great people out there. So gotcha. So you just have a couple of other agents from that brokerage. If someone wants a, to go check out houses on a weekend, they just kind of go on your behalf. The brokerage that I ended up hanging my license with out there are very supportive. And I do have a database because I just lived in California for a big part of my life. And gotcha. that was one of the probably the biggest struggles I had getting started in Tennessee was that I didn't grow up here. I, I don't have that built in Thing where you got college or family friends or that whole type of thing that you kind of plug into and just let them know I'm doing real estate now and send me your referrals. I had to really kind of just start from scratch. I have a great sphere of friends and, and people here, obviously, and that's been what supported me. But it was difficult at first being someone who didn't have that. Thing. So I do have that in California. I have I grew up there. I have people who like me and trust me. So in some ways, I think that was the motivation for getting licensed was that I can help people there. And I and I know, well, I, I lived in the Bay Area for a long time. I know the Bay, Bay Area really well because I just, I moved around so much there. I, I started riding bikes there. And so a lot of my time was spent just riding my bike around all these streets and I know all the neighborhoods. And so I felt like there was, there's something there that I can still offer. And that's what got me into it. But logistically speaking, you know, it's about me going out there and then having a couple great people on the ground that can cover day-to-day -day things. And then if I have a, you know, if I have a client that's that I already know where we have a goal that we're working on, then I can schedule and, and make a timeline to be there. The Bay Area is so much more pedestrian and bike friendly than Nashville with their with their bike boulevards. Yeah, bike boulevard. Yeah. Here, I mean, I don't bike. I only run, and I'm I've only gotten more fearful of my life as I've gotten older, and maybe that's just because fear kicks in more as you age. Mm -hmm. But also, I feel like drivers have gotten worse and yeah. care even less about um, you know pedestrians and general humanity around town. Yeah. I try and remember that when I'm in the car as well, because it's it's funny how quickly being someone who spent years only as a cyclist. I mean, I, I had a 10 year part of my life where I did a weird thing where I decided, you know, no phone, no car type of experiment. And, you know, it worked and it didn't work, but I did spend a lot of time challenging myself on the bike to see how far I could go. You know, people say you can't do that and I would do it. And as in like commuting. Yeah. Style. Uh huh. 
your life sounds completely different now versus the 10 years where you were biking and had no phone. Yeah. <laughs> it's the opposite. That sounds amazing. I yeah. I want to know. Okay. I have a, there's a Tom Ferry challenge. Think about how you would grow your business, mm. no car and no phone. Yeah. Like how I've tried, how does how would that work? You've tried. I, I mean, I haven't tried. I've tried to think about it. Let's put it that way. And, and really right. when I started, so I started with Keller Williams in the Green Hills office and uh, Ruby and I lived in Lachlan Springs at the time and they have a great training program. I participated in the first three months of going to the office every day and going through their boot camp, you know, and um, I, I was committed at that at that point and I, I rode my bike out to Green Hills every every day, which is, you know, not some of the some of the that commute is okay, but there's parts that are scary. And it's long sketch. and, you know, it's going out early in the morning with a backpack full of, you know, whatever books and stuff, like, you know, basically going to school. So I'd be sweaty and terrible when I got there, you know, and have to like almost take a shower when I got there. But my idea in the beginning was to do that, to be the, you know, the realtor on the bike, the the eco realtor, you know. The damn the man agent. Yeah. And I've had a couple of successes with it, but it usually depends on the client. You know, if a client likes that type of thing, I have I have shown houses on on a bike and I'm the the invitation is open. Anyone who wants to go search for a house on a bike, I think it's a great way for one, I mean, like you were talking, what you were saying about um, being engaged with your environment, you're also taking a little bit more time to take in the neighborhood that you're actually looking at. Whereas you drive by something, you stop at a house, you go in, mm -hmm. you get back in your car, and then you drive mm -hmm. to the next place. It doesn't give you the actual sense of what it would be like to live in that neighborhood. And I think that doing it on a bike is a great way of engaging with that. And I have done it with a couple clients who just are into that type of thing. But I, yeah, I, I thought, well, what if that was my marketing thing, you know, in the beginning? But I guess I gave in to the reality that if you're showing a house in Donaldson and then you're going to Bellevue or whatever, you know, like. See in an hour. Yeah, you could you could schedule it out, but I feel like you would lose clients and they would probably be annoyed at the fact that you have this huge buffer zone and any. Thing that you do like it we'll go to that one place and then i'll see you in an hour and a half at the next one <laughs> and i'll need to change i'll like need a few minutes yeah it could work if everyone was on board but sure. um we're not there yet well i just had this crazy idea you know how they do the like tour de nash and then they also do they'll do like a home tour of like certain yeah. neighborhoods so like what if you somehow combined you know maybe we like did inglewood or or oh, right. you know like quarterly sure. You did, okay, well, this quarter we're going to do Lachlan Springs down to like Shelby Heights neighborhood. And it was like, I don't know, a two mile or that would be very quick on a bike. Whatever it was, neighborhood tours yeah. on bikes and you were just the master in, in front and just kind of like leading the neighborhood. I yeah. don't know. I think that that could be like a fun, cool thing to where you're not showing houses, but it's like a neighborhood tour somehow. Yeah. No, I think that's a great idea. And, you know, really... It's kind of something I've thought about before, but but that's a that's a better way of, of spinning it. And um, I'd love to do that. So maybe we just came up with a good idea for me. Well, I'll be on my rollerblades, so I'll try and keep up. Yeah. <laughs> your your business has, has kind of exploded over the past couple of years. I mean, what does what does success look like in your business? I mean, how do you define success? It means something different for everyone, which is why I love asking this question. Yeah. 
I think the, the thing that defines success for me is being able to feel like there's a steady flow of great people that are coming to me to help them with something that we can achieve together. And as long as that's happening, then, then I feel successful. I mean, the financial element of it obviously is, is always exciting when I'm able to support myself doing something like this. But ultimately, it's the people. And I think the, you know, the scary part where I would feel like I wasn't being successful was is if people stopped referring me to their friends, you know? <laughs> Uh, so I, I feel like I'm doing a good job and, and I feel successful when um, somebody texts me and says, hey, my friend had a good experience with you and I'm thinking about doing the same thing. That's success to me. It gives me that feeling like, yeah, I'm still doing this. I'm doing well. But I think I definitely owe it to, mm. to those people and following through with those transactions and doing everything that I can to support them hopefully is what made them feel like they want to refer me. So that's what I try to continue to do. Well, on the flip side of that, do you have anything that feels like, and this might be, I don't know, not too strong of a word, but true thing. Okay. Well, what's the opposite of success? Like on the flip side, you know, how, how do you define failure? Mm -hmm. a, an easier way to answer would be, you know, are you hard on yourself if it's been a couple of days yeah. or a week or two where, okay, well, I haven't, my phone hasn't been blowing up. I'm starting to feel a little bit scared. I mean, how tough are you on yourself are you in those moments? Well, I can say that I'm less tough on myself than I was before, but I initially was very tough on myself with that. I mean, whether it was a transaction that didn't go well or, uh, you know, or an offer that didn't get accepted or something like that, or if it was... Like you said, just kind of, I feel like nobody cares or no one's calling me. <laughs> yeah. Um, I used to kind of dig deeper into that and get worried. And I think what I'm learning to do, even though I, that that feeling can always be there, no matter how successful you are, I think you can always feel like, you know, is this going to last forever? Or, or you know, am I still good at this? I think that I got better at believing that it's going to be okay. <laughs> and usually that turns out to be true. So that's affirming but yeah I'm, i think that the element of that roller coaster is always a part of the business and learning how to kind of ride through the dips and everything is is probably what we all have to work on constantly yeah that's one of the hardest parts of this industry for me is when i have a bad day believing that it'll be okay tomorrow and i've tried to even like text myself hey reminders I'll even put random things in my yeah. calendar like two weeks out. Hey, if today's a bad day, tomorrow will be a better day. And that's the statement in my head is if today's a bad day, tomorrow will be a better day. But I get so mm -hmm. in my head and so deep on those bad days. And it's it's sad how like irrational it is, you know, and I go to no one gives a shit. Like I'll post a video and doesn't do well. No one gives a shit. OK, well, my phone hasn't rang today. No one mm -hmm. gives a shit. It's, so, it's like that's so sad. Like I would never... Yeah. Want anyone in my life to tell me where the, how they even for a moment thought that no one gave a shit about them. Right, right. But it's, you know, but that's, we're just our own harshest critic. And we'll say things to ourselves that A, we would never say to anyone else or B, we would never want anyone else to say about themselves. Yeah, well, maybe that's the important thing to remember is is doing the role reversal. And like I said, I think everyone deals with this in, in whatever mm -hmm. type of work or whatever their passion and is that they're they're trying to put out there. You know, if it's a creative thing, the same thing happens. You know, you put out an album or you 
you put out your new piece of artwork and it doesn't always get received the way you thought it was going to. And um, as someone who's friends with a lot of you know, people who do all types of work like that, I wouldn't want them to ever think that nobody cared about what they about what they do, even if they posted something and it, nobody said anything about it. Not true. Everyone else could just been having a really busy day and, and couldn't react to it or whatever. So I think putting yourself in that position or trying mm -hmm. to switch roles. Mm -hmm. you go, oh, yeah, you know, every, people do still care. Um, I'm just having one of those days. Where I need that extra validation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get really hard on myself because I feel like my whole business is based on being available and being timely. And if anything doesn't work out that way, uh, I feel this tremendous need to to make up for it, you know. And that's probably been my my struggle is you know, and having boundaries in this profession is is hard too. But um, I think I've gotten down on myself a couple times too hard when it really just was kind of something that I had no control over at the moment. Trying to be everything to everyone at all times, anytime. Yeah, you can't do that. <laughs> I know what you're saying. You can though. try. I. I absolutely know what you're saying. I, I immediately yeah. go to, oh, well, I didn't respond immediately. They're probably texting mm -hmm. another lender who is responding immediately. Exactly. And I'm sorry, I just had to go to the bathroom. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and that happens too. And I get it. And I, and what, oh, so what I re remind myself is I've been that person. I've been that other agent too, probably, you know, mm -hmm. if I had a situation where for whatever reason, you know, at nine o'clock on, on a holiday, I didn't answer a text and then someone else did, <laughs> then um, I always remember I've also been that other person who did you know, when they were going down the line. So I guess uh, in the spirit of win some, lose, lose some, yes. um, you just have, that's yeah. part of the game and, and uh, remembering that you are also someone who's achieving a lot and is receiving a lot at the same time is, is hard to remember when you're in those moments, but I guess it's the best that you can do. Well, I think just kind of going back to no one cares what I'm doing. I think that also mm -hmm. is putting too much on the outside world, things that you don't have any control over. Right. Like if something is received well or is received not or the random video that goes viral or whatever it is, I think you're putting mm -hmm. too much power into things that you don't have any control over versus what I'm constantly trying to remind myself of just enjoying which I feel like this is so cheesy saying, but like enjoying the process, you know, why do I do what I do? Well, I yeah. do what I do and how I do it because I believe in it. I believe in the way I do it. I believe in why I do it. Right. So on the flip side, why if, if that is honestly from my heart true, then why do I care how it's received? Yeah. Because I'm being so true to what I'm what I, Amanda Gilbert is is passionate about. Mm -hmm. So I think it's really digging deep into that portion of it yeah. instead of putting so much into that outside validity when yeah. that's not what should be most important. No, I mean, it made me think of the music business. Going back to that first question, I, I think that, you know, that I really did learn that a little bit too. Having a sense of humor mm. can be helpful in these moments at times too. I was talking to Ruby about this a couple of days ago, just how when you're on tour, there's the nights that seem like they're going to be the most terrible in the mm -hmm. sense that you might show yep. up to a venue in a town where nobody knows who you are and there's nobody there and there's not going to be anybody there. You can tell already. <laughs> it's going to be a bad night. 
and maybe the people who work there aren't being very nice or whatever. Those moments looking back were always these experimental times for creativity because the pressure's off in a way. And it's kind of like, all right, well, what is this really about? You know, if, if you, you put yourself in this situation, nobody really asked you to do this. <laughs> you decided you wanted to get out there, perform, be this thing. And um, here you are, and it's mm. not going to be easy tonight. So, you know, how do you react to that? Sure. And I think having that, what I, initially i didn't always know this but what i learned was tapping into a sense of humor about like well this is absurd it's kind of funny you know so let's make it even more funny let's let's take it to the next level of and those had good results for me just emotionally where it was kind of like all right, i'm going to do something that i don't usually do on stage tonight because nobody cares all right well if nobody's watching then then let's try something that that we were afraid to try before i don't know if it translates directly into into the work that we do being experimental but tapping into that creative mind and sense of humor in those moments can maybe is maybe a link to riding through them and being okay with it because yeah. it does all work out eventually right. as we know in some way well it's just being able to control over a mental shift you know right so i kind of want to go back to yeah. success for a second and i'm just curious so if you said i'm getting referred from people or past clients or you know musician friends do you hang your hat at all on numbers are you like oh i want to meet x dollar amount x number of transactions are you led by that at all or are you just totally the relationship builder where if i'm getting referred i'm making connections with great people that's enough success for me and then after that i feel like this industry is very like sales goals leadership numbers do you yeah. feel any sort of comparison between kind of what you're doing in terms of transactions versus anyone else? Or are you kind of, hey, I'm Dobby, I'm in my own lane doing my own thing? I think that I'm more of the just the relationships. As long as I feel like those things are happening, then, then I'm successful in my mind. It, and I, I, I learned that early on in real estate, mm -hmm. you know, that's a, a, the way that a lot of people do it is is create the goal and the number and then work your way backwards, you know, as far as like, if I want to hit this goal, how many of these things do I have to do every day in order to get that? I personally am interested in that and, and learning to have that discipline, but it hasn't been my sole motivator or focus. And I mean, my re relationship, my working relationship with Ruby has helped out a lot too, because I I think, well, we complement each other in that way. Well, she's better at the organizational yeah. side of things. Just staying on task and, and creating a schedule and following through. She's very good at that. It's just part of her personality. And for me, it's always been kind of like, let's just show up and see what happens kind of thing. So I think we have a balance and she's probably teaching me how to you know, work that way a little bit better. But I think as, as far as my normal mode is is basically to just follow through on the relationship side. And that's been my focus. And the rest will fall in line. Yeah. I mean, as far as yeah. being competitive or, or looking, I, I think it, it falls in line with what we were talking about before. It's kind of like, let's put it this way. When you're feeling good, you're always happy for everyone else, <laughs> cheering everyone on because we're all doing this together. When you feel like you're in a moment where you're slipping a little bit, then you start to look at other people and be like, hmm, what am I doing wrong? And and my deficiencies, my faults. Yeah. So I, I think it's that's part of that that ride too. And yeah. I've been I've been guilty of it. I mean, I think everyone has as far as be, uh, being covetous or, or jealous or whatever, people are like, oh, how are they just doing this over and over again? Where is this all coming from? 
<laughs> you know, what am I doing wrong? Yeah. Um, yeah. And then as soon as you have a, a win, you know, then it's kind of like, ah, I don't really care. You know, I'm just happy for them. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm doing great. I'm the most successful person that I know. Oh, my gosh, I'm so good. It's just, it's all. Yeah. And that's when you know that it's not bullshit, but that your lows are just as just the voice in your head, because all of that right. goes away on the next good day. Yeah. And then the next good Nothing's really, nothing's really changed. I mean, it's still you just getting through the day. <laughs> oh. So looking back yeah. on the past couple of years of your real estate career, I'll say specifically, what is one or, or mm -hmm. some of the greatest lessons that you've learned that made you the agent that you are? Yeah. Um, well, I guess persistence, you know, is, is one great lesson in the sense that I did have situations that I thought weren't going to work out that I just stayed patient with. And, and I'm always surprised that those things that you thought maybe you failed at actually turned out to be something that just wasn't ready to happen yet. And um, so I think that's a, a big lesson for me was being patient with the process and following mm -hmm. through regardless of, of how it starts or you know, what you think is going to happen, stay, stay the course. And usually it has a, a positive result. That's a big one for me. Other than that, you know, I'm trying to think. And also just FYI, you can take as long or as short as you need because I edit the shit out of these to make them very, very punchy. <laughs> I mean, our attention spans are like this long because even me, I'm like fumbling. I fumble over stuff all the time and I'm like, edit, edit, edit. Edit, edit, oh, edit. I like that. I mean, I'm not Joe Rogan, so I'm not I'm not trying to have like yeah, this yeah. two hour unedited thing. I'm like 40 minutes, completely edited, cut all the fat. Okay. What's one of your greatest motivations? Kind of what keeps you going through the ups and downs of this? I think my my partnership with Ruby and and the fact that we've built our our life on this at the at the moment is my biggest motivation probably. Because when I was alone, you know, as a as a touring musician and I really could live off a of very little you know it was kind of as long as I didn't have bills then you know I could kind of scrape by and everything like that but once you create a, a foundation to support then that keeps me motivated because I not just because I feel like I I have to hold this thing up but I get so much out of it and so that continuously motivates me to keep working because I like what I see happening that wasn't happening in my life before. So, you know, maybe people say they wish they had started earlier. I don't, I see how if I had started earlier, I could be in a completely different place of my life now, but I don't wish that I'd done anything that, that I didn't, but I do think that I'm still just at the beginning of this thing. So the motivation is to see where it's going to take me, I guess. And I love that you and Ruby do it together. A lot of some of, well, some of the coolest agents that I talk to They've got a secret weapon, and I feel like Ruby's your secret weapon. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'd be lost. I don't know if I would, like I said, I don't know if I would even do it or if, if I would believe that I could do it if it weren't for her. So she's mm. my motivation. Yeah. All right. A few more questions. Number one, this is a fun one. What is a normal day in the life of Dobby versus a perfect day in the life? Like expectation or like dream oh, yeah. versus reality? Well, every day I, I kind of have the same routine in the morning. I do, I do an email called Dobby's Picks that has a, a small subscribership. Okay. <laughs> always, anyone a small wants, cult following. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> some people are looking for homes. Some people just like that I email them every day. And some people are just, you know, looking at 
at looking at it for fun. So it's uh, not automated. It's literally every morning no, you yeah. wake up with your coffee and you exactly blast so this, out a couple of houses. Yeah, this is my my morning meditation. <laughs> cool. Uh, okay. I get up and I and I look at all the the new listings within a certain radius that have okay. you know over the last twenty four hours, and I go through them, try and pick good price points, interesting locations. Or just wild listings that are fun to look at. You know, if it's like, oh, this is really cool. And nobody can afford it, but it's it's cool. You know what I mean? So anything from like a, a $250,000 cottage that's in a good location, maybe we should go look at this to up to like a, an 80-acre estate. Could These things could show up in this list, but it's usually about 10 or so listings. So that's the first thing I do every morning. And um, it's good. It calibrates me. It, it kind of like keeps me present with the market. And then also... Just to those people, you know, hopefully they're getting a feel for something. And if they see something they like, they can reach out to me. So my ultimate morning would be that I send out my email and like I get instant replies from people, like, you know, like this is amazing. Mm, let's, mm-hmm. you know, let's, let's go do some business. And then at the same time, you know, somebody calls me and says, you know, I've been thinking about selling my house and I, I want you to, to list it. Uh, that would be my ultimate situation. The reality is, is, you know, I send send that list out and usually nobody replies, which I'm not expecting anyone to um, sort of shooting it out there. And I know that people are either checking it out on their own time or whatever. It's not an immediate um, call to action. It's just something that they enjoy and something that you yeah, enjoy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Try to stay in appointments with people to just meet people, go have coffee. Do podcasts. You know, do podcasts. That would be yeah. your dream day, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then uh, whatever transactions I have in process, you know, you just get the email that the the loan's clear to close and and uh, everyone's happy about everything. That that's that's the dream, the dream day, right? This is raining clear to close email. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Versus reality? Is that the question? Yeah. I mean, so I mean, yeah, just just staying like doing your email and then staying, you know, staying present with the market starting your day looking at the listings, go hanging out with other people in the yeah. industry and connecting with people in your mm-hmm. sphere. And then, yeah, the perfect day would be in the midst of all that, just a bunch of clear to closes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Sounds great. Yeah. Sounds great. Money in the bank. All right. Last question. Uh, who is Ritzy D and why is he the biggest country star in the world? Oh, wow. Well, Ritzy D is is the last of a, a long line of, of wandering gentleman is how I put it, whose mission is to bring back kind of the the heartfelt, genuine, the loving gentleman back to country music. Not that they're not out there, but I think that that was, it was a popular thing for, for a country singer to be kind of a good person at some point. I don't have any problem with, with the opposite. Obviously, there's lots of fun with the other thing too, but there's, but I, but the idea of Ritzy D was, was to sort of bring back a little bit of that wholesome part of it. I'm so obsessed. I'm sure that Ritzy is not the only person doing it, but part of the part of a new wave, I guess. Well, there's there's like a nostalgic <laughs> quality too. Yeah. So at the end of every episode, which we're at the end now, with three minutes to spare. So at the end of every episode, we have a message of love or encouragement from someone important or influential in our guest's life, and we've talked quite a lot about Ruby, who I'm a huge fan of as well. So we have. A quick message from Ruby here, which is one of my favorite messages we've ever received. And I'm going to go ahead and pull this up and make sure the volume is 100%. And uh, here's Ruby. Dobby, it is your wife, 
If you're wondering why I'm here right now, you should know that I am omnipresent and I'm everywhere all the time. I only have 30 seconds to sing your praises, which is impossible, but I just want to say that you are the greatest listener that I've ever met, which makes you the greatest communicator, and it inspires me every day to be better. And I love you. Oh, <laughs> wow. Well, there you go. That's the answer to all the questions. That's why I do it. <laughs> well, we have a win some, lose some Spotify playlist, and I ask every guest to add five songs. So we've got everything from Ruby, so we can listen to some music, a double musical powerhouse couple here, talented in so many ways. We've got Ruby the Rabbit Foot on this list, George Strait, Anita Baker, Mark Chestnut talking about a nostalgic Southern gentleman. I feel like Mark Chestnut go. was, I was probably like, I don't know, mid 90s riding on the school bus. Yeah. I feel like like John Michael Montgomery, that era was big school bus era for me. Anything else that we didn't go over that you want to mention or promote or talk about? No, I think. Or now's your time. Yeah. Or you can just say Dob we're done. Dobby's picks. You know, I do it every day, whether you like it or not. So, um, if uh, send me your email address or an email address. Cool. And we'll have, uh, we'll link to Dobby's Instagram handle. And I think there in your bio, you have like a little sign up for Dobby's picks here link. So they can, you make that pretty easy. So good on you. <laughs> oh, also Ruby has a song on her new album called Amanda. Have you heard this song? Um, Hold on. Well, so, so I think I might want to, I might want to change my submission. I think when I was filling out the form, I, I just wasn't thinking about it, but that's really the one we should use. My Paul Paul. Um, played with Don Williams, and they have a song, Amanda, that I grew up listening yeah. to. Okay, hold on. Oh, yeah. Latest release, Like Doves and Roses. Oh, it's the final yeah. song. It's a deep cut. I started playing it, but my the music is in my AirPod, so I was going to do this cool, fun thing. We're like, oh, and we're going to play a clip of it right now live yeah, yeah. on the air, but... It just backfired. <laughs> well, if if it's not too late to, to put that on the playlist. Okay. I will add that. Yeah. Plus, you should listen to it. It's fun. <laughs> I'm keeping my Spotify up right now, and so I'm dying to hang up so I can listen to it. Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Dobby. Okay. Thank you. All right. Mm -hmm. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Win Some, Lose Some, Resiliency in Real Estate. If you believe in the mission of this podcast to talk about the wins and losses of life and real estate, please share with a friend that could use a reminder that they're not alone in their struggles. Also, rate, like, subscribe, comment, D, all the above. Just pick a random bubble like a Scantron. Also, be sure to visit winsomelosomepod.com for a list of all of our episodes and email winsomelosomepod at gmail.com if there's someone you think we should talk to. Lastly, let us know if you'd like to work with us because we'd love to work with you. Win some, lose some together.